Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, as it's Wednesday night, May 1st, 2019, as we are streaming this show live on Mixler.com slash Sox Machine. On this episode, we recap the Baltimore Orioles series in which the White Sox ended up winning the series, winning two out of three, thanks to splitting the doubleheader, in large thanks to Yonder Alonso's walk-off hit in the bottom of the ninth inning uh, to win the nightcap of the doubleheader. Uh, that ended up being a big hit because the White Sox are now 13-15 and 15 on the season instead of 12-16. and 16. And it doesn't get any better schedule-wise for the White Sox as the Boston Red Sox now visit this weekend to the south side. And in the month of May, White Sox opponents right now have a combined winning percentage of 508. As they say, misery loves company. And joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Uh, before Yonder Alonso made that hit, uh, it really felt like the White Sox were going to be 12-16, and 16, and we'd be talking about the White Sox losing the season series to the Baltimore Orioles, which would have been horrible. And uh, I recorded a podcast episode with Kevin Powell at WGN this week, friend of the podcast, and he described the 2019 season for the White Sox as a roller coaster. There have been really high climbs, and then a fast, fast approach to the bottom. I thought it was a fitting description. How would you describe the first 28 games of the season? Well, I don't know if uh, you've ever seen uh, Mr. Show with the roller coaster, the Devastator. Um, but the Devastator is basically a roller coaster that uh, has some plunging drops, neck breaking turns, and then spends two whole minutes underwater drowning everybody that rides it. 
and that's probably closer like yeah i guess i would expect a roller coaster that's enjoyable to have more fun but this is more just uh yeah this was supposed to be the easy part of the schedule and the white Sox made it look difficult like they would not have beaten the orioles uh, they would not have split the season series. Uh, um, they would not have split the doubleheader without a whole lot of help from the Orioles, and they were almost as willing to give it right back to them. So it was ugly, and, and uh, you know we talked uh, on Sunday about how whether the uh, three-game winning streak and that impressive showing against Detroit was a, a harbinger of things to come, and, and I was wondering what it looked like when real teams showed up, but I think uh, the White Sox are hinting at what it might look like when real teams show up. They can't afford to play this sloppy and uh, come out even being allowed to be close in games, much less win them uh, the way with the effort that they had uh, uh, in both games today. Yeah, this effort continues for the rest of the month. May is going to get ugly real quick for them. As I mentioned, the combined winning percentage of their opponents in the month of May is 508 and you know that includes the defending world champions which we'll preview that series later in the show but Cleveland next week that's a four game four games in Cleveland and then it's three games in Toronto and then the week after that it's vice versa the White Sox welcome Cleveland home and then they have a four game series at home against Toronto and your reward for that week is you have another road trip where you go visit the Houston Astros and the Minnesota Twins two of the hottest teams in the American League. And then it finally ends with a, a homestand at the end of May uh, with a series against Kansas City and a series against Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland, though, may have taken a huge blow tonight. If you haven't read the news or heard on social media, uh, Corey Kluber took a line drive to his right forearm. And the initial news is that his forearm has a fracture in it. And there'll be more word as far as how long he will be out. But that could be a devastating injury for the Cleveland Indians. But as you mentioned, Jim, it, we'll see what the White Sox look like against better opponents. And we're going to find out real quick in the upcoming weeks. Now, for this doubleheader, as I want to touch on because there's there was a lot that happened in these two games today. Uh, the first game, the White Sox lost 5-4. to four. And as we talked about on... Uh, Monday's episode on how last Friday against Detroit was adorably dumb, maybe the most adorably dumb game of the year for the White Sox. This game was just stupid because the White Sox were up three to nothing in the third inning and they had runners on second and third and Rick Renteria called for squeeze play with Nikki Delmonico. Now, not even knowing what the result is, Jim, mm-hmm. I do not understand why there would be any situation in any level of baseball where a manager would call for a squeeze play that early in the game. Do you have any sound logical reason why Renteria would make that call? I do not. Uh, you know, there's a number of reasons not to. I mean, uh, David Hess is not a strikeout pitcher, at least, uh, you know, in, in theory, he's had some moments here and there, but he doesn't really strike guys out. He's facing a lefty, you know, it's it's a righty-lefty matchup, so it's not like Delmonico is at a disadvantage splits-wise, and, and you have runners in second and third, you don't have to worry about a double play. So none of the typical concerns you have about, you know, um, a batted ball blowing up in their face uh, applied. And instead, you have a young pitcher who's underwater with terrible defense behind him and just scrambling to try to get out of the inning, and uh, you allow him to pick a runner off third by throwing a ball out of the zone. Like, even if... 
you know, it was, I guess it was Delmonico's fault for pulling the bat back, but even if he tried, I don't know if there's a way to foul off a pitch that's at his feet when he's trying to bunt it. Like, Abreu would have been hung out to dry either way, so uh, I guess if the, the you know, uh, the best possible outcome on that pitch was a weak foul ball, you know, what, what's the point there? And then, you know, then he goes and singles and, and drives in Yonder Alonso to underscore just how poor that that bunt idea was so yeah and then he called for another squeeze bunt with jose rondon and and before the game that was the confusing thing too is before the game uh james fegan relayed a quote from uh renteria's pregame scrum saying that it's really hard to play small ball now or it's getting harder and harder to play small ball not and not bunting's not difficult just because players don't know how to do it but because the pitches are so live and you have miguel castro throwing 99 miles per hour and has no idea where it's going and then you have a 1-1 count and Rondone bunting and you know he fouls it off and costs himself a strike and he's on the ropes when you want him to be putting the pressure on the pitcher you know just I don't get it and uh I guess I hadn't really thought much of Renteria's bunting this year but maybe it's because they weren't in situations where uh they've been able to need tack on runs but I, I don't like that it's come back well, you touched on both situations as far as game one, game two, and n- not having that extra run on Delmonico single ended up being costly because the White Sox ended up losing five to four. And Carlos Rodon was not better, Jim. He could not make it out of the fourth inning as he went three and two thirds innings, allowing five hits, three earned runs, striking out six while walking two. When you look at that for his pitching line, uh, that's not terrible. But he threw 89 pitches, including, I think, 41 in the fourth inning, uh, in which the fourth inning just got way out of hand for Carlos Rodon. After the game, Renteria mentioned that Rodon usually de- develops a blister on his throwing hand. They put something on it that allows him to pitch, so it's never a big deal. But is the blister to blame for back-to-back poor outings, or is there something else going on with Carlos Rodon? Well, you know, the first one, I don't think that was to blame, at least it never came up and he was, you know, just pretty much awful from the start. Whereas in this case, you know, the, it seemed like he was looking at his finger, you know, over the first uh, few innings before it all collapsed on him. So this one seemed like legitimately he was dealing with it. And then the uh, uh, command worsened and the finger worsened and he couldn't get out of the fourth. Uh, So I, I would isolate his first poor start from a second one. This one, you know, Renteria didn't want to blame it, and, you know, maybe it isn't. Uh, I, that's what I'm curious about. Like, it's possible that it isn't. Um, it's also possible that it could be something that Rodon doesn't want to blame. Um, you know, him being an athlete and, and trying to be a staff leader and not wanting to, you know, pin letting down the team. Because it is letting down the team when you only go, uh, you know, three and two-thirds innings in the first uh, game of a doubleheader. That, you know, isn't what you want to deliver, and I guess it might theoretically be weak if he blamed a blister but if it is you know a a physical thing you know i'd rather see that than just another mysterious outing where rodan's command disappears he can't put anybody away because that was the problem like he got ahead of guys could not put them away long at bats a lot of foul balls uh ending up in uh you know mistakes that were turned into hits and uh you know perhaps if he has the full feeling of his fingers maybe his stuff has more snap and better location and he, and he gets through five or six without issue so that's i guess i'm hoping it's a blister it's never great to hope that that's the case but uh and, and you would think that if it were that renteria would say that he was trying to pitch through something rather than deny it was a deal uh um, if it is a if it isn't a big deal and rodan just pitched poorly then that's a whole different issue and i guess we'll find out when rodan can speak to the media next 
Yeah, I'm with you. I hope that it is a blister because if it's not, if the blister is not the root cause here for his back-to-back poor outings, then the reasoning becomes a little bit more mysterious, and that's not that's not good, Jim. On where you're not quite sure on why he's struggling against. And let's face it, these are poor lineups. It's not like Detroit mm-hmm. and Bal- Detroit and Baltimore may would may have problems scoring runs in AAA. Uh, it, yeah, these these offenses are not good, and they have made Carlos Rodon look really bad. And now watch in his next start, whether that is against Boston or on the road to Cleveland, uh, Rodon's lights out again, and then we're we're talking about him in a, in a different tone. Uh, but the back to back starts have not been good for Carlos Rodon. Now, in Game 2, like we mentioned in the intro, the White Sox come back and win 7-6. to six, But Ivan Nova was not much better, Jim. He lasted into the sixth inning, I think, out of necessity because of how much ground the bullpen had to cover in Game 1. Uh, he allowed five earned runs on nine hits, striking out five, walking two. But after this start, Jim, you have White Sox fans now wanting the front office to DFA Nova like they did with Irving Santana. Uh, and Santana declined going to Charlotte. So the good news is that the White Sox save a lot of money on that projected $4.3 million they signed to him. Uh, but now White Sox fans want Dylan Cease to be called up after he struck out 11 in his last start. I have a feeling that Rick Hahn is not going to make that move right now. But do you think it's a real possibility in the near future? I don't think so, and and not that they can't make a change or maybe put Nova on the DL or something like that if he is not. Uh, you know, the velocity's down a bit. He's, you know, he looked a lot like Dylan Covey his second time through, just like a lot of aimless sinkers or two seamers, you know, drifting up in the zone and being hit hard. And he didn't really throw his cutter much. That's where I really wanted to see more from him in this start was that cutter. Didn't really throw it much, and uh, you know. Perhaps it's because it's behind the county. He doesn't really like throwing it, or Wellington Castillo doesn't like calling it, but I didn't understand why that didn't factor in more. But, I mean, they've they've committed a lot of money to him, and I think this is kind of a, a an audition for when he hits free agency uh, you know, after the season. I think they ha- they've had an interest in him for a while. I think they've wanted to kind of get their hands on him, see what, what he can do, and so that's why they traded for him before he hits free agency. Maybe they can extend him. Uh, they may as well take advantage of the time, see if they can straighten him out, see if there's anything he's like pitching through and ultimately can get better on the other side. <clears throat> they don't have a whole lot of pitching depth aside from Dylan Cease. Like, you can call him up and... I mean, he had, Cease had two bad starts before this most recent good one, so it's just like I would let him stabilize in AAA before you know putting the pressure of Major League starts on him, but... Um, <clears throat> sorry, I'm getting all choked up here. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, no, it's... Uh, yeah, there's just a... Uh, a lot of season left, and and you know people were talking finally about Kovey starts. No, <laughs> once Kovey starts again, and then you get to the third inning, then you'll be reminded about why nobody wanted to see him start again. So everybody's in the same boat. It's all recency bias, and and people wanting to see something new. But I think it's still worth sticking with Nova for at least a few more starts. I mean, if he's still like eight ERA bad, you know, by the end of May, then yeah, it might be worth moving on or. Uh, you know, seeing if time off gives him a break and see what the starters look like in Charlotte. But right now it's Dylan Cease and nobody else. So uh, you really don't want to go to that well too early, especially when Cease has been up and down in Charlotte so far. Let him show, like, like with, with Kopech last year, let him show that he's too good for the level, um, you know, for like a good month and then, you know, pull the trigger on that. Yeah, I think we're not going to see Dylan Cease until after the All-Star game, sometime in late July. 
that's kind of where I'm feeling right now. And maybe Ivan Nova continues to get starts all the way to July. Maybe he only lasts into June. And then you have a hodgepodge of fifth starters. Sticky with Manny Benuelo since the starting rotation, but maybe Carson Fulmer gets some starts. Maybe we even see someone like Jordan Stevens. I think Jordan Stevens is still on the 40-man roster. Uh, yeah, when it comes to Dylan Cease, I don't expect the White Sox to promote him until after the All-Star game in July. So uh, from my perspective, White Sox fans, you're going to have to be a little bit more patient. Hopefully, Ivan Nova pitches better or has a good stretch of starts coming up so it makes it uh, a lot easier to watch these games when he's on the mound because I am with you guys it's uh, kind of painful right now watching him make these starts also painful to watch Tim Anderson made two costly errors that would have lost the game for the White Sox if it wasn't for the ninth inning comeback and it allowed the Orioles to take the lead in the seventh inning and after 28 games, Jim, Anderson already has eight errors this season after he just had 20 all of 2018. Five of those eight are throwing errors. And obviously these fielding errors are going to impact his wins above replacement. So even though he's terrific offensively, Tim Anderson does not lead shortstops in war. Right now that's Elvis Andrews of the Texas Rangers. Why? Because Andrews is playing better defense than Tim Anderson is. And I know we've been focusing on his bat, but do we suddenly need to worry about Anderson's defensive ability again, Jim? I, I don't think so in the big picture. I mean, right now it's, you know, there's no excusing it. it it's been bad and, uh, you know, it shouldn't be the case where you just assume it's going to get better or that, you know, he should be excused because at the end of the season he'll be fine. These these are painful and preventable. Uh, like the yeah you know, the ground ball going under his glove on a double play the uh, you know a couple bad throws in the inning too like Yonder Alonso dug out the other one uh, that almost extended the inning he almost uh, cost Aaron Bummer uh, what would that have been uh, four outs at that point in one inning so it's it's uh, you know tough to watch and that was really my main reservation with Anderson kind of conducting this. Uh, fun campaign is that he has a tendency to embarrass himself on the field just with you know mistakes you know he's not uh uh his his defense isn't rock solid yet last year he had the same problem a bunch of errors early start thinking about whether he needs to go to center field with Manny Machado being a free agent and, and trying to recruit him and then all of a sudden you know uh, second half of the season looks like a gold glover out there and I think you know that might his defense might be susceptible to that where it takes him a while to find a groove, and then once he's in it, he doesn't get out of it. But uh, it does need to be something to be addressed just because, like in the case of Aaron Bummer, Bummer pitched his ass off tonight. Um, yeah, made a number of great pitches, got two double play balls, didn't get a double play on either of them, and not because they were hit in the wrong place. They just did not convert them, and Anderson didn't convert them specifically. Um, yeah, and that's it makes everything harder. So uh, if Anderson's going to you know step out and, and be this guy who is trying to be the face of the White Sox. He kind of needs to shore up his own play um, in that regard, just so he doesn't, yeah, it, it just, double plays are fun too. You know, it's, it, when you when you talk about trying to, you know, bring fun back into the game, you know, bat flips are, are one thing and they're great, but also, you know, reversing the course of an inning with uh, fundamentally capable defensive work also pleases the fans. And so it'd be nice to see him shore that up. Now, Jose Abreu, he was terrific again in this doubleheader. Abreu's just been red hot offensively. He went four for four for nine 
in the doubleheader, he hit another home run. He drove in six runs. Abreu now has six home runs and 30 RBIs, which is now tied with Domingo Santana for the American League lead in RBIs. I'm sorry for laughing, but I don't think anyone was expecting Domingo Santana and Jose Abreu pacing in the American League in the RBI lead. Uh, right now, Abreu's on pace to hit 35 home runs and 174 RBIs. Uh, I think <laughs> one of those numbers is more realistic than the other. He could probably do that against the Orioles all season. <laughs> he probably could. He probably could. Uh, obviously, not too shabby of, of a performance. And I'm already starting to see national baseball writers tweeting this out and recognizing how good Jose Abreu's been. Uh, is this building up that trade value, Jim? Uh, maybe, but uh, yeah, I guess with Abreu, I would just have to believe a trade when I saw it, or at least hear more serious smoke or see more serious. You don't really hear smoke. You see smoke. Um, yeah. The last couple of times, last couple of periods where Abreu could have been traded, uh, there was just really nothing. There were some you know, teams you know, theoretically inquiring about him, um, teams circling, looking to solve their first base, talking to the White Sox about him, but nothing ever approached any kind of serious exchange. And the White Sox you know, have prized what Abreu brings to the clubhouse and to the field. And they also need to kind of address first base themselves. And I guess they could let Abreu go to free agency and then um, you know, bring him back, you know, or you know, trade him, let him go to free agency, bring him back, and maybe get a player for their troubles. Um, but I just don't, you know, they never have seemed serious about trading a Bray. And I think if they're trying to get something to coalesce into a team that could theoretically be contending next year, then they might want to Bray there just for the wins and the production and getting a sense of how much this team actually has. Um, but yeah, Bray does look better. Um, and I don't think it's all Orioles pitching. Like he has, you know, he got around on the, on the inside pitch and he also stayed back on the changeup, like in the same, uh, you know, against, Andrew Kashner, you know, Kashner tried busting him inside. Abreu beat him. He tried, you know, serving him with changeups. Abreu was ahead of an early changeup, but then he stayed back and and shoved that single right through the middle. So I think he's his approach has, is better. I, I don't think he's pressing as much. He's he's not as anxious. It seems like he's able to cover both sides of the plate. And this is the Abreu we like to see. Now the White Sox split the season series with Baltimore, three games apiece. Obviously, you would have liked to see the White Sox win the season series against the worst team in major league baseball, but three and three is a heck of a lot better than two and four. And as we spoke about this a couple weeks ago, this was a 16 game stretch in which the white Sox were facing the Royals, Tigers and Orioles. And obviously because of weather, this became a 14 game stretch and the white Sox end up going eight and six over these 14 games, a winning stretch. So that's good, but is it good enough, Jim? Uh, not the way they did it. Um, and, and they, they did beat my prediction. Like I thought they'd go seven and nine. So, um, yeah, I was wrong there. Uh, and you know, I think in some cases wins are wins, but I think when you're beating good teams with ugly efforts or, you know, it's like, say if they play the Red Sox and the Red Sox play like a Baltimore brand of defense and, and the White Sox beat them, then that's just, you know, catching the Red Sox in a bad night and taking advantage of it. When you have the Orioles serving up all these mistakes and need a walk-off when to beat them uh, in order to you know, have a, an over 500 record against a soft schedule. And that's, yeah, just it doesn't bode well for tougher opponents, tougher pitching, uh, 
tougher lineups, uh, you know, lineups that demand more from your starting pitching, uh, lineups that might make games longer for a bullpen that's already been taxed. I mean, when you look at how many games Kelvin Herrera has uh, appeared in and Alex Colome, like they've been worked pretty hard. So I don't think they're taxed in terms of, uh, you know, on, on fumes, but in setting up the case where May could be very long or June could be very long for them. So uh, this is where it'll get tough. And I, I don't think they're running into this uh, uh, tough month with a head of steam based on how, uh, iffy <laughs> they played you know the Detroit series was fine you know that winning three games in a row uh that was great um but you know the the way they they wrapped up against Baltimore and double headers can be weird but even you know early on the double header that looked iffy and it didn't really get better as it went on um yeah just I think it's gonna be a rough month for them and uh I'd like to be surprised in that you know hopefully they'll surprise me much like they did with this uh uh stretch where they did exceed my expectations but I would say I'm pretty low there right now. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and preview this upcoming weekend series as the Boston Red Sox make their way to the south side. But before we do that, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. And if you need tickets for this weekend series between the White Sox and Red Sox, make sure to check out our sponsor, SeatGeek. For a long time, buying tickets has been really difficult and an annoying process with a few big companies who don't really care about the customer. Well, SeatGeek is a ticket company where the customer comes first. With more than 50,000 five-star reviews in the App Store, SeatGeek is focused on making your experience as easy as possible. Here's how it works. SeatGeek pulls in millions of tickets from all over the web. They rate each ticket on a scale of 1 to 10 and displays them on an interactive seat map so it's simple to find what you're looking for. The green dots are great deals. Buy those tickets. Red dots... Overpriced, stay away. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets with confidence. And I use SeatGeek all of the time to buy tickets to Chicago White Sox games as I find to be the easiest way to shop for tickets. Plus, with the new digital ticket policy, SeatGeek has the QR codes in the app, makes it really easy at the gate for my phone to be scanned and easy access into the stadium. No headaches there as well. Best of all, Sox Machine listeners get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do is just use our promo code SOXMACHINE for $10 off your first purchase. If you don't want to use it over the weekend, that's fine. You can use it for concert tickets, other sporting events, comedy shows, whatever you need tickets for. So remember, promo code SOXMACHINE for $10 off your first purchase on SeatGeek. And now the Boston Red Sox coming to play the Chicago White Sox. Boston has been talked about a lot early this year. The defending world champions, uh, not in a good light. They have struggled. However, they have won three straight games. They are currently 14 and 17. And even though that is disappointing, they're starting to play better baseball. So this could be an interesting series as they are looking to continue their hot streak and get back to at 500 or above 500 with this series and your pitching problems for this series starting on Thursday will be David Price for the Red Sox and returning from the injured list confirmed by WGN's Kevin Powell, Lucas Giolito will be starting for the Chicago White Sox. This game might happen. Weather-wise, there's a good chance for rain in the evening and the high is 49 degrees. It'll be a lot better weather for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday as it'll be in the 60s in Chicago and 
perfect Friday night matchup as Chris Sale returns to Chicago, and he'll be going up against Ronaldo Lopez, who struck out 14 batters in his last start in six innings. On Saturday is Eduardo Rodriguez against Manny Benuelos, and on Sunday will be Rick Porcello for the Red Sox. And it's to be determined for the White Sox as Carlos Rodon and Yvonne Nova started today. If they make that start on Sunday, they'll be doing it on short rest. So if that is not ideal for the White Sox, it could either be a bullpen day or maybe someone else from Charlotte will come out and assist on Sunday. Uh, But Jim, starting with Lucas Giolito, as the news has been confirmed, he is coming back off the injured list. It's going to be a tough test facing the Boston Red Sox in his first start back from the hamstring strain. What should be the expectations for Giolito's first start from his injury? My standard answer for first starts from injuries or MLB debuts or wherever the chips may be stacked against him, five decent innings. Uh, I think that's fair to say. And also, you know, coming out okay, being cold weather and hamstring issues, you know, they don't always get, go <laughs> go well together. So I think uh, coming out uh, 100% after five innings would be fantastic, even if it is, you know, I guess suboptimal for a team coming off a doubleheader and pitching a lot of innings. Ideally, I guess you'd want to see him go six, but um, yeah, just facing a tough lineup. The, the Boston lineup is getting better, especially Mookie Betts got off to a really slow start. He's his OPS is over 900 now. JD Martinez is tough. Xander Bogarts is good. So like they've had a good middle lineup. The the rest of their lineup is struggling. So he might have, you know, if he can get through bets or at least avoid uh, all the damage from bets and Martinez, he might have uh, an easier time than usual against the Red Sox right now. But hopefully if his stuff resembles what it looked like against Kansas City, where it was popping out of his hand. He was missing bats, uh, had everything working for him. I don't know if it'll be that easy for him to resume it because that's consistency has been the problem for him. But uh, his stuff against Kansas City looked great, and I wish he could bottle that up again. Yeah, Mitch Moreland is going to be the batter to maybe stay away from. He has nine home runs already early this year, powering the Red Sox. And the biggest story I think at least the media is going to be covering this weekend is going to be Friday night. Chris Sale returns again to make his second start against the White Sox since being traded. And he's off to his worst start of his career. Um, Chris Sale is not good right now. And is this a golden opportunity for White Sox hitters, Jim, going up against Chris Sale at this moment? Or is this a golden opportunity for Chris Sale to bounce back? Uh, I think it's, you know, you can look at it both ways. I mean, he has been getting better. He was really ugly early, especially his velocity was really down. Then his velocity spiked, but he still didn't have the feel for it. Now it's kind of settled into like 92, 93, but better command, more strikeouts. Um, So I think this is kind of, I guess what we would see like in July from him where he's not peaking, but he's also not, uh, uh, you know, he's throwing six, seven innings every time. So I think this might be the form he's approaching. However, we have seen it with Sale when he pitches against the Sox or pitches in big games that he does get overamped and starts missing high and arm side and can get out of sorts pretty quickly. So I think if they can get to him early, uh, then perhaps they can, you know, I guess, turn the screws on him a little bit and uh, you know send him to 0-7 or at least uh, it would be 0-6, but he, they've lost all seven of his starts. That would be kind of fun. But um, yeah, it'll be... They'll be facing a tougher sale than I think his numbers indicate right now. Yeah, his strikeout percentage is 24.1%. That's the worst of his career. Seven and a half walk percentage. That's the worst of his career. He is allowing 
and this is a bit alarming because I'm, we're not used to this from Chris Sale. His home runs per nine innings is 2.1. Yeah, that that's calmed down a little bit, but yeah, it's still... I mean, for his career, it's 0.92. So we'll see what happens uh, in this game between the White Sox and Chris Sale. Uh, I'm expecting him to have a really good start, but his last, his first time facing the White Sox which was against Jose Quintana, and we were thinking, oh, this is going to be a pitcher's duel. No, it was not. Neither pitcher pitched all that well. Jose Abreu got uh, to Chris Sale, especially with the bases loaded with a big hit uh, and a very high-scoring affair. So we'll see how Chris Sale does against Ronaldo Lopez. And can Lopez do it again, Jim? Can he get to double-digit strikeouts? Can he strike out 15? I'm kidding. But what are we hoping to see from Ronaldo Lopez after his outstanding start against Detroit? The exact same thing, basically. 14 just, you know, strikeouts. Book it. Yeah. No, just a, a live fastball, good command of it, good enough command of it, because even his misses just had so much movement that uh, they were fine. And then just uh, a slider that kept hitters honest. The slider was okay. Uh, the changeup was okay. Could throw it when he needed to, just to change a look or, or get hitters from totally cheating on his stuff, but then he came back with it. He paced himself well. He uh, saved his best fastball for when he needed to in emergency situations, and and it all mapped out perfectly for him. It'll be a much tougher lineup, a lineup that can draw walks and make him work a bit, so I don't think it'll be as easy, but if he pitches like he did, um, you know that'll make a lot of good lineups look bad for at least a day. Anything else you're looking forward to in this series? Uh, just three straight lefties. Um, so it should be a case for you know Ryan Cordell to get some swings, for Jose Rondon to get some swings, and and maybe get them into a rhythm a bit and see you know whether they have the potential of sticking for a whole season. Um, you know they both have flaws. I'm not counting on it, but they've shown enough at times to think there might be something more there. And this is the kind of stretch where they should be able to at least get. Uh, at bats day after day after day and see if they find a rhythm or if they just get exposed and like strike out eight times in 12 bats that could happen too but either way it'll it'll be learning something and we'll again we'll be recapping as far as the red Sox white Sox series on the next Sox machine podcast will be coming out on monday so if you guys have questions topics that you want us to tackle you can definitely start submitting those around sunday for hashtag P.O. Socks. But that will do it for this edition of Socks Machine Live. Thank you guys so much for tuning in on Mixler.com slash Socks Machine. If you don't get an opportunity to listen to the live stream, no worries. The episodes are always uploaded into the podcast feed in the very next morning, which you'll be able to listen to. And if you just discovered the Socks Machine podcast, you can subscribe to our show via Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes, and Audioboom.com slash socks machine and you can help support the show and the website by becoming a friend at patreon.com slash socks machine where you get an opportunity to receive additional content from us every single show and during the week with additional writing and we also got some cool socks machine swag that we're giving out to some of our patreon so that is of interest to you again that's patreon.com slash socks machine to sign up Socks Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. 
Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.